call him this, uh, we ought to ask Stanley the Stag Ken, I think, you know, but uh, here we are at Mansfield Town Football Club. We can't be praying hard enough, I mean, the manager's lost his job this week, poor bloke, but uh, anyway. Oh, thanks, Mick. That's probably why. <laughs> it really is great to be here. And uh, <clears throat> how many of you know that when you have real church, <clears throat> laughter's never far away? And actually, sometimes in, a, in an atmosphere, actually, also it's okay to, to cry, you know. But laughter's never far away. That, 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 that's always a, a good indication of a great family. And, um, um, and tonight, we can just be absolutely real in God. We can worship Him. And I'm a Christian. As we begin to, we're setting some values, some foundations in this new journey. And one of the things we're doing is, is bringing a, a fresh sense of exalting God. That's what we did tonight. We lifted God high. And as we lift God high, then things do begin to change and take place for his glory. So tonight, if you've got a, a Bible, you might want just to turn to a very short reading from Matthew chapter 7. And... Uh, we're just going to continue this journey of uh, laws that live, raising the bar. And uh, we've got this week, then we've got John next week and Lisa. A, a great night to bring some friends. And then Christian draws this to a conclusion the following week, and then we hit the Christmas program. And uh, so it's going to be a great few weeks. Do you realize, friends, including tonight, we've only got five Sundays before Christmas Day. And so... Uh, you know, uh, so we're not far to go. And we've, got a, we've got a great time lined up. One, to bless the church that's already gathering. And two, to give us an opportunity to bring other people. So Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads us to life. And only a few find him. Laws that live. We've just been continuing to build upon the foundations of what God's taking place. As we were reminded right at the beginning of the service, we're about 12 weeks in. And God's doing some great things. And friends, we're believing that God's going to continue to help us and bless us and minister to us. I'm smiling because I talk to people around the life of the church. And what took place thousands of years ago still takes place today. And that is when God places on people's hearts a desire to build something, some people say, well, it never work. And it happened years ago when Nehemiah had a passion to rebuild the walls of the city. And there were people that sort of said, well, even if we put a fox on the walls, it'll break it down. Never work. But we're believing with a passion that what God's laid on our hearts, what we're part of here, is going to continually grow and flourish and prosper. And that uh, God's going to help us increasingly press out and reach out to see the bigger thing. To see all that God's doing. Even as Julie was sharing the notice to us tonight, I don't know whether you listen to her language, but the language was of something bigger to belong to. It was something bigger to belong to. And we're believing that's going to grow and grow and grow. You see, friends, we live in such a challenging day. We need something strong to belong to. We need something strong that will bless us and touch us and minister to us. And so we've been laying some principles into our hearts the last few weeks from what is commonly known the Sermon. On the mount, Jesus' words to his disciples on a hillside. Incredible words. Even people that haven't come to faith acknowledge that these are some of the most wonderful words that have ever been spoken and written about. And we reminded ourselves that Jesus came 
and began to speak about an altogether different kingdom. He didn't come as a political agitator. He didn't come to uh, pat the backs of the religious people and say, you're doing great. No, he completely sort of smashed through all of that and said, I'm coming to speak about a new rule, a new, ra- a, a new, a new kingdom, where the only way that you can be part of it is to let me rule and reign in your life. And it's going to mean that you're going to really have to look at how you live your life. Can't do it in our own strength, but with Jesus as the king over our lives, we can. And so one of the repetitive phrases of these three chapters is, you've heard it said, but I say. And we talked about raising the bar, lifting the bar higher. We've deliberately used that phrase, laws that live, because we're not talking about the laws of that day that were binding, restricting, limiting, made people miserable and gloomy. We're talking about the laws of the kingdom, friends, that release us, that empower us, that set us free to do what Jesus has called us to do. We looked at the law of inconvenience. Paul talked about right motivation. Christian led us last week in the whole principle of stewardship and reminding us that everything we've got is in the first place anyway. And how do we deal with that? And how do we look after the things that God has entrusted us to? And tonight in this little passage, we're confronted with a choice. The Broadway, nothing to do with that place in America where all the theatres are, but the Broadway that many choose that leads to destruction, but then the narrow way, the narrow way of the kingdom. Not narrow in terms of being narrow regarding how you see life, but in terms of discipleship, in terms of following Jesus, not the popular routes. But Jesus is calling us to follow his ways. And it says that his ways will produce life. You see, friends, if we're to get to the ultimate destination, and the ultimate destination is two things. One, God's impassioned about every person in this room tonight, however old you are, however long you say you've been a Christian, or if you have never yet become a follower of Jesus. The first aspect of that destination is that you serve God's purpose in your generation. Acts chapter 13 and verse 26, uh, uh, sorry, 36 says that David served God's purpose in his generation. That's what God wants for us. And the second element of this is that the ultimate destination is that we would be with the Lord forever. And it comes down to good choices. Paul Swindell, one of our worship leaders, has wrote a song that says, one of the lines says, Though the way be narrow, show me your ways. And someone said this, Our destiny is to do with the journey and not just the arrival point. You see, if we're ever thinking about getting there, but don't know how to process it, we actually don't get there. But I want to say there is destiny all over this room tonight. Young people that are supporting this Sunday evening meeting amazingly. Fantastic. And I talk to them and say, won't want to be anywhere else on a Sunday night. Isn't that fantastic? Because they could be in a thousand places. But they're worshipping God, supporting the work. Destiny all over your lives. And there's destiny over this man's life. There's still so much more to come. And you may have been a Christian 30 years and there's destiny over your life because there's more. You see, but it's not just about the arrival point. It's about the process, the journey as well. And so the Christian life is very often described as a journey. Some of you may have read John Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress, it describes a journey. 
And in modern days, if you are planning a journey, if you're thinking of a holiday, a trip, going somewhere, it will involve maps, it will involve books, it will involve brochures. I was just talking to Colleen before the service, and uh, she's got a very exciting journey over Christmas, and it's involved a lot of planning. And uh, it involves timetables. For some of you, it involves satellite navigation, which takes the stress out of some of those things. It involves all of that sort of stuff, so that you get from A to B. And God wants us to do exactly the same on the journey of being a Christian. But you see, in ancient times, there weren't, well, certainly weren't sophisticated maps. There weren't books and brochures and timetables. There certainly wasn't satellite navigation. No, often journeys were determined by milestones. Now, good friends of Sharon and mine, and I've known this couple since I was in my teens, uh, until quite recently lived just south of the M4 near Reading. And uh, they lived in a little village called Three mile cross and it's one of these amazing places that you can literally just about if you listen hear the m4 traffic going whoom, whoom. but then you're in this little place and it's like it's like in another world and um, you can sort of look across and you can see the medesic stadium sort of the other side of the m4 but it's like in a little world of its own and they used to live in this beautiful house which they've now sold and they live in an even bigger beautiful house now in northamptonshire Lived in a beautiful house called Milestone Cottage. And if you come to the end of their drive, that's how beautiful a house it was, it had a drive, you know. If you come to the end of their drive and out the gate, there's a little milestone. Some of you have seen them about that high, about that wide. And it was the milestone that indicated that outside of their house was the old Reading to Basingstoke road. And on the milestone, it's got three miles to Reading and 14 miles, whatever, to Basingstoke. It was an indicator to allow people to make progress in the journey. And brothers and sisters, I want us to think for a few moments tonight about a little bit of an older approach to the journey. Forget for a moment your maps and your timetables and your satellite navigation. I want you to think for a moment about milestones. And here... With this community of believers at Arena Church Mansfield, just this September, we committed to a fresh journey. A fresh journey. The journey was able to be built on the fact that there's been journeys in the past. But a renewed journey to take hold of all that God has taken hold of us for at this time. And it's a narrow way. Jesus wants us to go the way of him because he says, if you will follow my ways, then the result of it will be life. Now, it's a good news, bad news point here. The bad news is that the seven milestones I want to point your attention to. For The, the good news is I'm going to go through them pretty rapidly. So don't worry, there'll be plenty of time for teas and coffees once Christians made the invitation and concluded the service. But tonight, brothers and sisters, whether you've been a believer for many years or whether you've turned up at Arena Church with a friend who said, why not come to church tonight? Maybe wondering, well, what's it all about? These folks actually seem to believe what they're singing. Well, that makes a change, doesn't it? And uh, you're intrigued. Maybe, Maybe you've read about becoming a Christian or you've heard something about it. Maybe you've got a Christian past. Maybe... 
And I'll come to this towards the end. Maybe as we were thinking in another context even today, you carry some pain for whatever reason. And Jesus is here tonight to get every one of us over the next few minutes to come to a fresh place of committing to the narrow way. Arena Mansfield, that will continually journey past these milestones because we'll understand that destiny is not just about the arrival point, but it's about the journey as well. The first one is the milestone of repentance. And the word in the original language of the New Testament is metanoia. It means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And I think one of the best illustrations for this is the London Underground. Now, Sharon hates the London Underground. She really doesn't like it. I love it, you know. I love, the, I love sort of just squeezing in, you know. And when somebody says there's no way in, I love just going in that door saying, yeah, there's another. You know, I love all that. And, uh, but you've got to have your wits about you. And the thing is, if you get it wrong, you've got to learn to repent because you're on the circle line. And uh, the circle line goes right through the middle of London. And you think that you want to go west. But actually, when you get on the, pla- on the underground, you've jumped on, you're actually going east. Because the station you think's next is actually going further away from where you want to be. Well, what do you do? You repent. I know it's difficult for men to admit they got it wrong. But you repent. You get off. You get onto the station that's going the opposite way. Change of mind that leads to a change of action. And you find the right direction. And brothers and sisters, Jesus comes to reveal in his word that there's a day when every one of us are getting it wrong. Every one of us are going the wrong way. And Jesus Christ has paid the price in order that we need not go the wrong direction anymore. But we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, we're sorry. We've got it wrong. We're going in the wrong direction. We've been full of ourselves. We've been full of doing our own things. We've We've done things we're not pleased with. We've missed the mark. The Bible calls it sin. And we want to change. Change tack, change course, change direction. And there was a man in the Bible who ran away with lots of money because his father legally gave him his inheritance that was his. And he said that he went to a far country and he lived in riotous living until famine came to that land, the money dried up, and all of a sudden he found he got no friends. And for a Jewish young man to be in a pigsty as a pig worker, so hungry that he wanted to eat the food, that was the lowest of the low. And then he thought about home. And there were three things he had knowledge. He said, I've sinned against the father. Two, he made a decision, I'm going to set off back. And three, he took action. He says, so he got up. You remember the story? As he's going towards the father's house, he's repeating. He's he's rehearsed all the words. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. But I'm so sorry for the way that I've lived. But afar off, the father saw the silhouette. And some of you know your family so well that even afar off, you can recognize them. That's my son. And the father wrapped his arms around him and gave him a ring on his fingers and a cloak and shoes on his feet. And the symbolism of that is so powerful. It was all about being restored and a great party. As they rejoice in a repentant heart. But can I say this? Friends tonight, please don't consign repentance simply to becoming a Christian. The reality is that 
as we are Christians, there are times that we have to face up to the fact that we've got it wrong. And we need to go in an opposite direction. Metanoia. The milestone of repentance. Number two, renewal. The milestone of renewal. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And the reason Paul said those words is because he says, outwardly, we're wasting away. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. We talked at a team meeting at church two or three weeks ago, and we could use the R word here about replenishing. And sometimes our lives inwardly are like a bucket, and we pour out, and we pour out, and we pour out, and we pour out, and we forget to refill the bucket, to renew, to replenish. And here's the truth, friends. Individually and collectively as a church, we can't live out of deficit for long. If you keep pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, without allowing yourself to be renewed, then you'll struggle on the journey. One of the reasons we have gathered church is for an opportunity for us to be renewed. I'm speaking to somebody this morning, a relatively new believer, a lady that goes back to a non-Christian home. She's the only believer in her house. A beautiful person in our church, not a spiritual giant, because as I say, she's probably only been a believer two or three years. And she says, thanks again, and will you thank Christian? Because every time I come out of church, I feel better than when I went in. That's renewal. That's replenishment. That's getting the bucket filled up, friends. And sometimes you can't put it into words, but we've been accused sometimes of all we bothered about is Sunday church, and people haven't listened. Because Sunday church in Arena Mansfield is all about tomorrow morning. It's all about your factory. It's all about your office. It's all about your university. It's all about your college. It's all about the school run with the kids. It's all about a good home life. It's all about playing five-a-side football with your mates. It's all about those things. But today's about renewal. It's about filling the bucket up again so that you can pour out to those people that are in your particular world. And tonight, I don't know about you, but I felt renewed again. I felt renewed. And you see, a lot of my world nowadays is, is around ministry. It's around speaking in different environments. It's about ministering out to people. But I tell you, I cannot do that out of deficit. I need renewal. Number three, we need to go past the milestone of remembering. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18 says, but remember the Lord your God. Now then, there's a great forgetting principle in becoming a Christian. Forgetting the past life, tick. Forgetting sin, tick. Forgetting your failures, tick. Forgetting the former things, Isaiah 43, favorite passage of mine, tick. It's all good. But here's the truth. We get so obsessed with forgetting at times, we miss the principle of remembering. And the Bible says that we are not to forget what God has done for us, but we are to remember who the Lord our God is. It's not about remember, remember the 5th of November. That's been and gone this year, you know. It's about remembering how good God is. How good God is. And in Psalm 78, verses 9 and 10, it says, The men of Ephraim turned back on the day of battle. And it goes on to say in verse 10 that one of the reasons they turned back on the day of battle 
is they forgot. Now, I got really pumped about this this week to the, to the extent that I've sort of almost got a message just pouring out of that, and I'm not even going to go there tonight. But if you get time and you read the end of Genesis 48, you'll find that the tribe of Ephraim, the people of Ephraim, were peculiarly blessed. They were peculiarly blessed. They were blessed beyond what they should have been blessed. And it talks there about um, uh, Joseph placing his hands upon Ephraim uh, to bless them. And, uh, and uh, sorry, Jacob uh, joined his hands out to bless them. And uh, he placed his hands crossways because in the incident, Manasseh should have been blessed first and Ephraim second. But Ephraim came first in the blessing of God. They had been so blessed. God's word had come to them so many times. God had been so faithful. But when the battle came, they forgot. We don't go looking for battles, but the reality is, friends, that sometimes in the Christian faith, we sometimes go through some difficulties. And when the men of Ephraim came to the battle, they turned their backs. Because they forgot how good God had been, they didn't run to their destiny, but they ran from their destiny. Someone said these words, remembrance of yesterday's blessings will give us confidence to face whatever tomorrow brings. And I recognize that around this room tonight, there are people that face challenges at this time. And some of you may feel that within your own personal context, it's a bit of a battle. But I want to encourage you tonight in all the forgetting, which is absolutely good, to remember the goodness of God. Even if it means you're going home and jotting down a few things during your Christian history, God, you did this. God, you did that. God, you've been so good. Remembrance of yesterday's blessings will give us confidence to face whatever tomorrow brings. The fourth milestone is response. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. Speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. Now then, guys, how many of you have been in a situation where you've been at home, your wife's been talking to you, and after a few minutes... She says, you have not listened to a word that I've been saying. No, no, but I know Arsenal threw away 2-0. You've not I don't know whether your wife says, just tell me what I've just said. You ever have that? It's like being on Mastermind. Just tell, just... And I've I've been stupid enough at times to try and blag it. You know. (coughs) I said, well, you, you said something about... Completely wrong. Why? Because I wasn't listening. I was in my little bubble. I was in my little world. I wasn't listening. I wonder how God feels. Hello? And sometimes we just don't listen. Samuel, after our four goes, before he came to a place of saying, Speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. I wonder tonight, brothers and sisters, on this journey of the narrow way, if we can give permission for God to say what he wants to our lives on his terms, and we'll listen. We've got a repetitive verse and phrase going through the Sunday morning ministry at the moment, and it says, either have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. See, sometimes I don't find that God speaks with a great big booming voice. I don't find, I don't find at times it's dreams and visions of believing all that. But I tell you, that still small voice into my heart. Whoa. Whoa. It's just as powerful. And if I listen, it'll help me on the journey. Number five, the milestone of refreshment. John 7, 37 to 39. If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Ephesians 5, 18. Be being filled with the Spirit. You see, this journey that we're on, uh, most Bible commentators believe is defined as a long-distance walk or a long-distance race or a long-distance journey. And those of you that do any running or long-distance training will know that if that is the case, you've got to take on fluids. Even the great runners, even the guys that can run a marathon in two hours, five minutes, which is utterly ludicrous. I mean, try it. Set the treadmill at two hours, five minutes, and you'll be flat on your face, you know, because you won't be able to keep the strides. It's... It's phenomenal. But even those guys take on fluids. They realize they can't get from this end of the journey to that end of the journey without refreshment. You see, and a lot of us try and live the Christian faith and we're dehydrated. We're thirsty. We're gasping. We're thirsty. We're parched. But the Bible says that if we're thirsty, we're to drink. And out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And here's the truth, friends. That on the journey, water is always available. 24-7, every time you drink, whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, whatever you need, if you will drink from the Holy Spirit, if you will tap into the source of the Spirit, He will never be found wanting. He will never say, Phil, I've turned the tap off today. You're going to have to go without me. Christian, sorry. You're going to have to just survive for another day on your own. Every time we drink, we'll be filled again and again and again and again. And some of you might like a drink of other things, and I'm not going there tonight. But the reality is, friends, there is nothing like a drink of the water of the Spirit. Nothing. There is nothing that can get to the inward parts. I don't care about that beer, whatever it is. There is nothing that can get in here like the water of the Spirit. And if this church, and we're believing for it, has gone on an amazing journey, we must continually rehydrate. We've done it again tonight. We must drink of the water of the Spirit. We must refresh our lives again and again. Sixthly, the milestone of righteousness. Isaiah 35, 8 to 10 gives us the the picture of a highway, and it's called the highway of holiness. And righteousness is a bit of a religious word, but it literally means doing the right thing. And I've had people say to me, it's all right talking about being a Christian, Phil, but I couldn't possibly keep it up. Here's the good news. It's not about you keeping it up, because none of us can. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, you don't have to keep it up. If you will surrender your life to Jesus, he, by his spirit, will work in you to help you keep it up and go in the right way. Brothers and sisters, we want to do the right thing. We want to live the right way. 
We want to be a church that's known for our righteousness. The way that we deal with each other. The way that we deal with things. The way that we live in our personal lives. We want to live righteously. And number seven. See, I told you, and some of you didn't believe me. The milestone of repair. Isaiah 51. Sorry, Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. Two or three years ago, Christian and some of the folks around Arena Ilkeston will know that God dropped this little phrase in my heart called making repair. There's occasions, friends, when I wish he hadn't because it's been sometimes incredibly disturbing in some of the things that I've had to walk through. But actually, I'm so glad he did. It was almost like a little prophetic phrase. Making repair. You see, imagine for a moment that the journey tonight is contained in a car. So you're not walking now, you're in the car. You're going down the motorway. Sadly, you get a punctured tyre. And you... Yeah, because... Because of all the challenges of changing a wheel, you know, I would be tempted to say, well, let's just carry on and hope it goes away. But of course it doesn't, does it? It gets worse. The rubber gets sort of all snared up. And you've got to stop. You've got to make repair. And if you're struggling because you forgot the wheel brace or you forgot how to get that thing off, or, you, know, the, you know, I know a man that can. That's why I've still got my AA card in my wallet because you just never, never... You know, no. I know some of you guys would have it off in five minutes and on again, but we've all got different gifts. But we've got to stop and make repair. And you see, some of us try and live our lives personally, and we've been punctured. David had been punctured by moral failure. I don't have time to go there tonight. Some of you know the story well. I'm not saying that's the case. But I'm saying things can come to our lives at times where we've been punctured. And he said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Do not cast me from your presence and restore to me the joy of salvation. In other words, he said, I need to get my life back on track so that I can complete the journey. Remember, I quoted him at the beginning. He served God's purpose in his generation, despite this puncture. And then what, what about relationally? Well, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18 says, if a brother sends against you, and go, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And if he listens, you've won his, your, the brother over. And if not, take two or three witnesses also. It's an impassioned appeal, friends, for us relationally to make repair. Am I on tape tonight? Is it, is, is it going on? Yeah. Okay, I'll just be very, very careful. Here's, here's, I had to make repair with somebody about this journey of Mansfield Church. And before anybody starts second guessing, it's nothing, no, none of you will know this guy. But, and I won't even open the context up, but he took the hump about us doing Arena Church at Mansfield. And after a meeting with him saying very little, I went away knowing that you take the hump. He's a friend of mine. His dear friend of mine, I pray with him. So the next time we meet, the arrangements went different and we should have been meeting with somebody else. And it ended up in God's perfect purpose just being me and him. And I have to say that when I realized it was just going to be me and him, I thought, goodness me. And we're having coffee 
which I pay for. <laughs> and as I'm talking to him, God's speaking to me. It wasn't my fault. I'd not done anything wrong. But there was something. And towards the end of the meeting, and God talks to me fairly down to earth at times. He says, go on then. Go on then. So I said, won't mention his name. He says, you know, I'm really sorry if, if, if you got offended and we didn't communicate something as well as we should. And, and he literally went, Forget it. It's finished with. Now, I didn't, I could have stood there forever saying, I'm not this jolly bloke getting all upset. He needs to grow up. He needs to get a grip. He should have known better. But God wanted me to make repair. The relationship immediately came back like that. And I know it's going to be fine. And some of us, friends, storm through life saying what we want, when we want, to who we want puncturing people along the way and think it doesn't matter. It does. It does. There are churches, friends, today that are coming to Christian and me saying, I wish we had young people in our church. Wish we had a prayer meeting. Wish we could repurpose the church. I don't know how you're doing. I don't know. And the reality is, friends, that it was all over some corned beef sandwiches 20 years ago. And, and somebody put lettuce on the, the thing instead of cucumber and somebody spoke to somebody in a dismissive way, that's told them. Oh, and then they told their family what they told them. So that family didn't talk to that family. And that family says, you don't have anything to... And here we are 20 years later, and the church is in disrepair. Because nobody has had the bottle to make repair. And friends, I want to live there. Sharon will tell you, I've, I've made apology in the front of the church. It weren't my fault. It weren't my fault. I'm working me notice in another church. I'm laying, on the, I'm laying on the sofa one night. God says, you will stand up on Sunday morning. You'll apologize for that. Particular. It really wasn't my fault. And I immediately said to God, God, you've got to be joking. You've absolutely. And he'll tell you. The church council didn't even want me to do it. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. We try and work really hard if we feel something's cropped up at leadership level. Sometimes you can have a joke with somebody and the joke goes too far. And you've punctured them. You've punctured them. Because the joke goes to sarcasm. The joke gets personal. And they've gone away punctured. Ah, oh, well, they need to. Now, the first thing we need to be doing, friends, is making repair. And here's what we're going to try and do in Arena Church Mansfield going forward. We're going to try and live in a place where we continually walk past the milestone of repair. We're going to be sensitive to one another, not in the sense of trying to put a restriction on folks having a laugh or anything like that, but you know what I'm talking about. And we'll use words like, I'm sorry, I apologize, I got it wrong, please forgive me. Perhaps we need to talk over a coffee. I tell you, friends, God's going to come close to churches like that. And he'll bypass those that think they can ignore it. Let me give you two stories. This morning, I nearly fell off my chair because Christian used an illustration from Take That. And my notes, which were prepared before this morning, Christian, 
as an illustration from Take That. Now, I know you're all thinking that I don't listen to Take That, and you'd be absolutely right, you know. <laughs> but I am fascinated with this journey. So about four weeks ago, I flipped the telly on when I got up. I never, I never have ITV on in the morning. You know, it's just an historical thing. If I don't have to watch football on ITV, I won't. You know, because I can't stand the head of the adverts. So I'm a BBC man. And in the morning, I've got the BBC. I never, I never watched that daybreak thing, you know, with Christine. Is it Bleakley, Blakely, Blueclick, Blue, you know. But, Bleak, you know, and Christine and Adrian, who seem to be doing a great job. They've lost half a million viewers. Brilliant, you know. Never watch it. But this morning, for some reason, 103. And Robbie and Gary are on. And they sang the song, It's a Shame. It's a great song. And the reason I say it, friends, is because these two guys may repair. They may repair. You know the story. You know the things that Robbie Williams said about Gary Barlow. You know the things he said about him. And Gary Barlow said, no one to talk to that bloke again. So here's, here's, the, here's the chorus of, this, of the song. And I, I thought that they wouldn't want the competition, so I'm not going to sing it, you know. But, but <laughs> I can't even do Christian did a brilliant character Robbie Williams this morning, but I can't, I can't even do that. He says, what a shame we never listened. I told you through the television. And all that went away was the price we paid. People spent a lifetime this way. That's how they stay. Oh, what a shame. Friends, if people that don't know Jesus can make repair, what about the Christian church? And finally, as I close, Bunny Austin. That's his real name. And in middle-class aristocratic England of 70 years ago, blokes got called Bunny. And uh, this is the last guy that ever was in a men's singles tennis final in Wimbledon. He didn't win it. Fred Perry was the last guy to win it. 1938, long time ago. And we're hoping that Andy Murray's going to change that sometime soon. Bunny was a Christian pacifist. And after the Second World War, he went to live in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in, in America. It's a time-honored tradition that in the Wimbledon All England Tennis Club, past champions and, and finalists are honored with life membership. But for over 40 years, every time Bunny Austin's application was made for membership, it was refused. It had to be a unanimous decision of the committee. And for over 40 years, one person voted down his application every year. Why? Because when they were both at Cambridge University, Bunny Austin, as the captain of the tennis team, didn't pick this man in the team. Talk about better or bitter, Julie. Totally bitter. Austin was only received into membership when this other guy died. About three years ago, they did a roll of honour at Wimbledon. Now broken in health, he's pushed across the centre court in a wheelchair by his daughter. The crowd stand to acclaim. And it took him over 40 years to become a member of the club because he didn't pick somebody for the tennis team all those years ago who didn't understand the power of repair. Enter the gate and walk the narrow way by living close to a repentant heart, by being renewed continually, by remembering how good God has been, by responding to what he wants to say by being refreshed by the water that's always available, by living righteously, and by understanding it's a great thing to make repair. Someone says the way that we get the choice right 
is to address our values. To see not the beginning, but the end of the way. To see things not in the light of time, but eternity. And if we all live like that, this will be a great journey. Amen. Man, if the guys... Are-